Good evening, and welcome to September's Dante's Old South, where we'd sit and speak about art, music, and letters, and how they intertwine. On tonight's show, our first guest is novelist and visual artist Paul Lucart. Paul, how are you doing, boss? I'm good. It's really good to be here. Thanks for having me back. It is a fantastic advantage on my end to have someone that's uh, a repeat offender on this show anyway, because I know that you won't punch me in the face at any point. The last time you were here, we talked about your creative writing and and how you tapped into yourself and surroundings in order to create the the words that mean the most to you. But this time, we're going to really focus in on your paintings, your visual art. Tell us how you got started in the mediums you like to work in. It started as a distraction for me because I have this this short story collection that I've finished that I'm shopping around for publishers right now. And the worst thing, as you know, for any writer is to wait to hear back from the gatekeepers. And it's a painful wait. And... More often than not, just mathematically, the odds are that you're going to get a rejection. So you, so you set up this huge spreadsheet of all these different publishers you're going to send out your work to. It's your baby. You love it. You're proud of it. It's the best work you've ever written. And then about six months in, you start to get these form, like, no thank yous. And it's really crushing. So uh, I just... I, that I have to distract myself with some something besides waiting by the computer for that rejection. So I took up some painting, and I'd, I'd done some painting. Um, when I was in college, my folks let me turn this room in the basement into like a little painting studio, because I was kind of get into like, you know, Jackson Pollock, and I think I just wanted to be destructive, like I just wanted to sling paint around. Right. And so they were kind enough to let me do that in this room in the basement. So, so I'd sort of experimented before... And really what, what happened was that I, I got one of my kids' uh, set of oil pastels and I started like using, like st- I stole from my children <laughs> uh, and started messing around with that and that was really fun. And then, then I just I kind of said, well, I wonder what happens if I use oil paints and acrylic paints and actually try to put this on canvas. Uh, so that's what I've been doing mostly lately. But what I do, and don't, this... We can cut this out of the show, <laughs> but my secret is what I do is I go to the different frame shops that are in town and, uh, I say, I'm, I'm kind of a, like a column and I'll say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a poor artist and I can't afford to have any of my paintings framed at your shop, but I know to make frames that you make mats and you cut out the scrap mat board and that sometimes you throw it away. Could I have that? Mm-hmm. And they say yes, and so I go like even now in the trunk of my car, I have a big load of scrap mat board that I stole <laughs> from these these unwitting frame shops. Right. And then, and then, because I'd like to be able to take that back to those frame shops and be like, "Hey, could you frame this?" But I don't. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I guess that speaks to like as an artist whatever you're made of, you, you're kind of, it's a little bit like Jackie Chan, like whatever's in your purview, you're just going to get it, grab it and use it. <laughs> right. And um, so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of a, a sort of a long story about how I've gotten into visual art. <laughs> what, what, what mediums within visual art do, do, do you, are you most drawn to? I, I'm definitely drawn to um, 
like lately especially I've been really in love with acrylic paint. Yeah. So I mix mix um, acrylic paint that you would get like at the art like actual art paint with uh, house paint. Right. So and that that thins out the so I'll, so I'll just go to Sherwin Williams and just get like a th- a thing of just latex house paint like the base color and I'll mm-hmm. take it up to the front and they'll be like what tint do you want this and I'll be like I don't I don't want it tinted <laughs> and they'll be like what why in the world not <laughs> like just give me the paint so 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 uh, I've been kind of I, I I like the way that that thins the paint and it's also really like malleable you can move it all around the canvas and a night that nice white base paint really picks up the other colors and really draws out kind of makes more vibrant like the blues and the red especially the primary colors so I, that's really it's 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 fascinating to do that i could kind of look at that that process all night when you said the word malleable it's it's i i often feel like when you're you're when the creative spirit takes over and you and you look at words with that renewed energy yeah. that you that you sometimes get that similar feeling of like you're able to just kind of put your hands on it. They become absolutely you can you can that malleable being able to move words around yeah. uh, to mean something new or to speak the way you hear things. Yes. Uh, do you find that to be true? I think that's really true with with both words and paint. Um, where we're almost like the closer you can get without turning it into almost like finger painting. Right. Um, so I, I mainly I don't use a brush. I use a palette knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, I used my old baseball cards because <laughs> so I would I'd spread the paint on the canvas and then take my baseball cards because that like a palette knife is pretty thick uh it's you know it's like a little strip of metal Mm -hmm. but so it doesn't bend very much but like a baseball card the texture of the baseball card is it bends just enough so that the paint has a little bit of control Mm -hmm. as well as the artist so Mm -hmm. you have this weird agreement with my old like here's paul molitor (laughs) 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 and uh so I, I don't know how many, how, so what I'm, in fact, what I'm doing is ruining my children's future by destroying <laughs> my old baseball cards <laughs> for paint <laughs> when I could sell those on eBay for like billions of dollars. <laughs> well, you know, but, but it's for the creative spirit. It it's is, for yeah. the muse, man. You That's have right. to, there are dues involved. She brother. is fickle and she will demand all of my cards. <laughs> I've tried to save one or two. It's like, oh, this is Cal Ripken. I better, I better not paint with him. <laughs> To swing back uh, around to like the world stage, how do you feel that that politics plays into to bo- all the arts that you're involved? Yeah, absolutely. This interesting time to um to talk about. I mean, whether you're a, a red person or a blue person, politics are interesting right now in America. And I I think what ends up happening is that um, so I'm thinking back to like the early 80s late 70s where there was some stagnation in american politics and then then sort of out of that you had this angstiness and not just american politics but like uk politics as well you had this stagnation where where out of that grew um the sex pistols the ramones the and when i think about that time i think about if I were to think of the actual history and politics of that time, I'd have to go back into at least Wikipedia and read some articles, <laughs> right? But maybe some history books. But but I could easily just go to my my phone and listen to the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and be like, this, this meant something. This this was this was angry. This was fast. This was loud. This was 
some sort of rebirth in the arts that had to do with the stagnation at that time. So I, I would say something similar, like wh where we're at with politics in America now, I think will breed some fantastic art as, as, as almost as a pushback. I'm not 100% sure that the, and this is honestly true, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I'm not sure that the, the supporters of our president are necessarily all that artistic. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> Ted Nugent, <laughs> he plays guitar. Um, but aside from that, I I think that the there's going to be some some pushback through the arts that will be remembered beyond the politics of the time. It's, it's sort of my hope. Uh, uh, it, it, historically speaking, I I absolutely agree in the fact that um, it's what they call a counterculture, yes. and I think people erroneously assume that that means. Counterculture, that the counterculture, they want to cliche that and is into something chaotic and ineffective, but I've found it to be anything but. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that the, the calm, too much of it sometimes can make art stagnate. Uh, I think that's really true. I, I, and I think there are times when we sort of like Pax Romanas, where it's like, what, who's producing art that's accessible to everyone, that's understandable to everybody, or, or at least to sort of the, your average layman? Who, who would like to have an artistic experience, but it finds it inaccessible because right. it's, it's sort of for the elite, so to speak. Right. So I, I think a rougher patch in politics produces maybe more understandable art, more accessible art. Um, have you found personally that in the last couple of years with the turmoil we have in the White House and the nation as a whole, have you, have you personally felt that tumultuous force in you to create what you're doing? Yeah, it's, it can be destructive because I, you can really... For an artist, I, can, I think he might find this would be true, too. It can stymie creativity because you just look around and you're just like, well, everything's hopeless. <laughs> what is the point? <laughs> right. Burn it all down. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, sort of once you work past that, you have, to, you have to be able to feel some sort of connection with, you know, with all the capital letter concepts, truth, beauty, you know. Um, and so being able to produce some art in the midst of a particularly tumultuous political atmosphere is really helpful to me personally um whether whether it is visual or, or you know fiction writing or whatever um so it's I, I have to do it to be to kind of stay sane <laughs> exactly and there it is yeah. I mean, literally the art is medication oh yeah. and absolutely absolutely i mean i think there's a really very much a way that it is like in my wife i'll i'll Life is busy. We're all busy. You know, it'd, it'd be nice if there was such thing as is that idea that. And there are some authors I know, and I, where you hear, well, what I do, I get up in the morning and I spend the first you know five hours writing, and then I have breakfast, and then I write another five. I was like, well, that would be nice, uh, <laughs> but that's not real life for me right now. So I cram it in where I can, and often my wife will say like, uh, could you just get up, and put, <laughs> put, put the pain away just for like a second because we have to have dinner. Right. Right. <laughs> Your kids want you at the table. <laughs> they miss you. Okay. They forgot what you look like. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul, before we round this out, I mean, yep. t t tell us where, tell us about where, what books you have out now, uh, because your social media presence is amazing, and oh, how, how you market yourself. Yes. Uh, that's good, because I never know. Like, I never know. I'm like, is this, I'm speaking into a cave, and <laughs> I don't know where this is going, so <laughs> well, I appreciate can, it, hearing that. It can't be like Jello throwing against the wall and see what sticks, but right. you are doing well at what you're doing, so. Thank you. For folks to find you That's online, tell us what books you have out there, how they can find them, and then with yeah. your artwork and how they get their hands on that. If So with books, I have a collection of short stories called Animal Heart, 
and you can find that you can just go on Amazon and find that um, was published by a company, a small company called Hyperborea Publishing. And then I have another collection of flash fiction, so really short stories called Brief Instructions, and that's at ghostbirdpress.org, Ghostbird Press being the publisher. And then for my visual art is at sachiart, S-A-A-T-C-H-I.com, and then you can just search for Lucart, M-L-U-I-K-A-R-T. <coughs> it's an international, but I'm the only Lucart that's on there. Well, Paul, it's been fantastic to have you on the show, and we will have you back a third time. It's been great to have you on the show, man. I love it. Thanks. And before we bring on our next guest, we have a song by Debbie Hennessy. A one-way road, no lots to see where to go. Next, we have WUTC's own Mr. Ray Bassett, who also has his show, Scenic Roots, here, which I am a huge fan, and I love having you on today. Ray, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Clifford. And you like and retweet us 
all over the place, and we are grateful. Well, I mean, it's it's yeah, not to try to you know ping pong back or tennis compliments, but it's it's always easy to promote those who are doing quality work with new voices in a way that's not commonly seen or heard, rather, on the radio. So I applaud you for that. Well, I appreciate it. Well, let's get to the meat of it. Uh, Ray Bassett, tell me about the places you're from and how those places have shaped you. Well, I was born in Minnesota in a small town near the Iowa border. My parents grew up on family farms in Minnesota, and I bounced around small town Minnesota for the first for the first few years of my life. I did not farm myself. My parents were that generation. They were ba- uh, they're baby boomers. They were the generation that left the farm for other things. So I bounced around small town Minnesota for the first few years of my life. And then because of my dad's work, I grew up between Philadelphia and Atlantic City on the East Coast and went back to Minnesota every summer to visit family, visit grandparents. Grandparents still had their farms at that time. And then I, for my senior year of high school, I wound up in southeastern Ohio, a drive away from West Virginia, on the other end of Appalachia. Right. And it was just for my senior year, back to Minnesota for college, went to Carleton, about an hour south of Minneapolis-St. Paul, in a small town, Northfield, Minnesota. A river runs through it. Gotcha. Yep. To college town. Got started as a radio journalist in Minnesota. First job was up in Duluth, Minnesota, Lake Superior, uh, Highway 61 country, mm-hmm. not far from where Dylan grew up, and then a little bit in Minneapolis. And then the last 21 years, I lived and worked in New York City. Okay. I arrived there a few years before 9-11, mm-hmm. and one person I met there in the late 90s who I wound up working for, for a long time, Charles Osgood at CBS News. Wow. What brought you here to Tennessee, and and what drew you specifically to Chattanooga? Well, I wound up living and working in New York City for more than 20 years, behind the scenes at CBS News Associated Press. My longest association and my last gig there was as radio producer at CBS News for Charles Osgood for the program, The Osgood File, that he did before and after he hosted Sunday Morning on CBS Television. And he stepped down from Sunday morning in 2016, and then he did the Osgood file for a year after that, and then he retired. He was in his mid-80s, and he felt it was just time to make that difficult but necessary step. And I took a sabbatical, which is a fancy word for a break, right? (laughs) because we were together for 10 years, and I was involved in all things behind the scenes with him and for him, and after I took that sabbatical, I started searching and applying, and a lot of public radio, because I wanted to be rooted in a community. I wanted to be rooted in a community again. I'd been in New York City, in national media for all those years, and I wanted to be rooted in a community again. And I was looking for a change of place and a change of pace as well. And I remember when we did an Osgood file around 2010, 2011, and Chattanooga went big on gig, Mm -hmm. and that's stuck in my mind. And when this opening appeared here at WUTC, they were looking for somebody to develop and host a weekday local afternoon talk show, invite the community in. And I had some productive conversations, as they say, with the folks here at the station and at the university. 
And that's what brought me here. And a lot of it's full circle, a lot of it's synchronicity because uh, 88.1 FM, WUTC, is the same frequency at the campus radio station at my alma mater, Carleton College. No way. (laughs) The colors of of UTC are similar to those of my alma mater. Uh, There, it's maize and blue, which is a very fancy way of saying the colors we have here at UTC. Yeah. Uh, One more bit of synchronicity. My uh, Charlie Osgood's wife is from West Tennessee. So there's a Tennessee connection in all this, too. And... So that's what brought me here. And I just thought, wow, this would be such a great opportunity to be rooted in a community, having conversations with the community and hoping uh, and and having that resonate across the community in many different ways. Well, to hone in on the idea of community, and especially the one here in Chattanooga, what is it about the Chattanooga area and its people that have already influenced and, and shaped you as a person? Well, the outdoors, for one. When you live in New York City for more than 20 years, even if you travel to other parts of the country, when you live and work in New York City for 20 years and then you come to Chattanooga, the first thing I noticed my first morning that I woke up here was so much more green and I could hear a lot more birds here. (laughs) (laughs) I could hear them up there, but not like I could hear them here. And I could look up and if it were not cloudy... I could see the stars. Right. Uh, and the only way you could see stars in New York City, up in the sky, that is, is if there was a blackout. And <laughs> I, I lived through one of those. Right. Uh, but the outdoors, nature, that's one thing uh, about the sense of place here that's already affected my, already influenced my sense of place. Because I, you know, I was born in a small town. I grew up in a larger city on another end of the country. Uh, I've traveled to various parts of the country, the South. I've I've traveled out of the country. And wherever I go, I know I absorb something of of where I've been. So how the outdoors, the way that what's unique about the outdoors here, what's unique about nature here, that's one thing that's influenced me right away. And another is just the size of the community. Right. Um, I've heard and I've experienced myself the saying about this place that it's a big small town it still is a big small town as much as you have transplants here such as myself and as much as it's growing and as much as there's been a lot of generational changes here in the past few years uh, yeah it still has that feel and i like that well as much as the as chattanooga has influenced you you've come on utc with scenic roots and begun to to give back. And again, like I mentioned earlier in our interview, that what drew me to what you do is that, you know, there, there are so many shows out there that are interview-oriented, but you, you pick people that come in with an energy and talk about topics that many people are interested in, but the people are so unique and vibrant that you enjoy listening to the conversation. It doesn't sound like a one-way, stilted, let me ask you these questions and you give me a pat answer, because they can get that from anywhere. How do you pick who you bring on the show, and how do you foster such a safe environment? Well, I look for people who have something to say about the time and the place that we're in here in Chattanooga and in the Tennessee Valley. And I find that from so many angles. I find that from authors. I find that from artists. I find that from people who are holding a benefit for Mm -hmm. pets, or the mud run, or I find that in music. I've had a chance to interview and watch 
performances by people uh, when Richard is otherwise occupied. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, I have a chance and I just learn so much. Mm-hmm. And I also have a great team producing the show. Uh, Haley Solomon, Carly Dodson, Will Davis, and a number of interns that have also been joining us just in the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. So they have a sense of who I am and where I'm from and also the show now because it's been up and running and they just try to tap that energy and and they they know me and the show well enough that they they see oh well what what makes sense mm-hmm. uh, for that kind of conversation that draws whomever in yourself and and the others that tune into WUTC now give us the uh, your own take on what Phoenix Roots tries to key in on how they can find it when they can listen to it and how they can follow you on li- on social media to keep up with what's going on. Well, we are on weekdays from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern because I know that there's a time difference if you drive not too far in a certain direction. Right. <laughs> 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern here on WUTC 88.1 FM. You can also listen online at WUTC.org and the WUTC app. Uh, as far as social media, Scenic Roots has its own Twitter, Scenic Roots 423. WUTC has its own Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And our shows are archived. The shows and the interview segments are all archived at WUTC.org. And if you were to give your show a tagline or a quick run through, what would it be? Behind and beyond the headlines in Chattanooga and the Tennessee Valley. Conversations that matter. I love it, man. Ray Bassett, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. And I will have you back, so don't go too far. I look forward to it. You know where to find me. Yes, Thanks. sir. Thank you, Clifford. Yes, sir. Now we have Mary Wright, local graphic designer, illustrator, mom, and genuine creator, not to mention Slayer of Dragons. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm great, yeah. A little nervous, but feeling pretty good about it. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. When I was first introduced to you via email with uh, Alicia Vera, uh, what took me aback with your graphic design work is how crisp, clean, but um, uh, malleable, how, how comfortable it is on the eyes. And mm-hmm. when I began to look back through your history that social media allows as far as your degrees and your history, and it, you have not only the natural talent, but also the classroom time involved. Mm-hmm. Um, what was art school like? So, um, art school was, was hard. It actually, uh, so I actually went here at UTC. So I went here, got my bachelor's of fine arts and graduated in 2016. Finally, it t- <laughs> I say that I had a really unusual path. So it took me like six years to get my bachelor's, but totally worth it. Um, but yeah, it was hard. I mean, People, you know, they ask you what you're doing, you say art, and they're like, oh, that's so fun. That's so fun. That's so cute. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> but they don't ever ask, like, what, what's your actual day-to-day look like? So I knew a lot of people who were putting, like, 60 to 80 hours in each week between, you know, like, their classes and assignments and then, like, their solo studio time, their private practices. Um, people don't really think about that, but I've I've known people who have gotten – you know, pre-medical degrees and things like that that didn't put in as much time or put in, you know, about the same amount of time. So it's it's serious business. But, um, yeah, you know. Now, 
Well, Mary, we talked about you going to art school, but now that you're out and in the working world, in retrospect, how important do you think the degree is to your current success? Um, so for me, like me personally, I think it was really important. I, I mean, looking back over the years, all the things that like I wish I'd go back and change or whatever, like have kind of all led to where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it it was such a unique experience. I I almost really am like trying to put words to it, but yeah, it changed the way I thought. It changed the way I saw things. I mean, I remember taking color theory when I was like a sophomore and you don't think about it, but after that class, the way I saw and perceived colors and felt about colors and like the combinations of like totally changed. Like I painted my house before I took that class. I took that class. I hate every color in my house. I hate them all. (laughs) They look ter- they look terrible. They look terrible together. But um but for, you know, in general speaking, I I don't believe it's completely necessary for everyone. I think it comes down a lot more to like the person and who they are, you know, the risks they're willing to take, the, you know, connections they have, the luck when they like st- they have when they stumble into something. Mm-hmm. Um that really decides how successful you are, whatever success looks like to you. Exactly. But just like with everything, no, I, I don't think you have to have one. And I think, you know, education, especially like collegiate level education is a privilege. It's not something that's attainable for everybody, which I hate that. Mm-hmm. I, I wish it wasn't that way. And it seems like we're kind of moving, hopefully, away from that and towards something where everyone can can receive the kind of education that they want. But, you know, kind of thinking about that, it's almost like, Oh, well, then I started thinking about it as kind of like this ivory tower type situation, like a gatekeeping device that like cost of education, the difficulty. But um, so for a while I was like, no, no college, burn it down. (laughs) I'm not going to burn you down, UTC. That doesn't count as a threat. Do not (laughs) cancel classes. Um, But yeah, but nowadays, you know, I'm really glad. I'm really grateful for my experience um, here for sure. We've talked about this a little bit outside of the show, and you speak about your, your interesting travels along getting your degree and in life, and mental health struggles have been a part of that, and it's, it's something that we've, we've touched on before, but I'd like to address here on the show. Um, how do your, the, the struggles you've, you face emotionally and mentally, how does that, has that shaped you, and how have you learned to create with it? Um, yeah, so... I mean, it's weird because I do, I talk about it now, like we've talked about it. I'm pretty open about it nowadays. I used to not be for so long. I just kind of like shut that off and compartmentalized it because I felt like it was a negative. I felt like it made me defective in some way or another. And uh, I didn't want to deal with that and I didn't want to face that. And I didn't want other people to know about it, even though clearly at a certain point, other people knew about it. (laughs) I just wasn't talking about it. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that led to a whole mess of problems. But um, but yeah, but since I've started talking about it, it's been really great because I've made all these connections and I've really had these like very, these like moments with people that are really intimate and people, when you express something like that to people, they're more likely to like turn around and express it to you. And so it's been really cool because I've kind of found this like community and also is this mutually reassuring thing where it's like, hey, I'm dealing with this, you're dealing with that, but like look at all this other stuff we're doing as well and like, Man, we're killing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's definitely made me more um, more resilient. It's definitely made me feel 
a lot stronger actually in the end. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't feel like that every day. Right, right. I don't think anyone does. I don't think anyone does. Definitely not. Some days I'm like, oh crap, you mean I have to go? I have to leave my house? No. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so, and that was kind of like all coming to a head while I was in school actually. So yeah, at first it, it really hindered my art. It, um, yeah, it was really bad. My junior, senior year things really started to kind of go downhill, but I, instead of dealing with it and like stepping back and looking at it, I decided to push through because I didn't think if I left school, I'd, I'd be able to come back. Right. Um, which I mean, I got my degree, but I can't say that that was the best decision. Right. <laughs> but then, yeah, once I started, once I, once I dealt with it, it just, uh, it's, it's really helped a lot. It's changed me entirely. It's made my life so much better my work so much better. I mean, before I like, I didn't have the energy to create a lot of times. I was too anxious to show my work in public. I, you know, developed some, like, pretty unhealthy coping mechanisms. You know, I was a super fun guy, but, you yeah. know, I wasn't, I wasn't very productive. I wasn't very professional. So it's been really cool because now I can actually, like, now that I've sought treatment and been through all of that and have really taken the time to kind of take stock and analyze and my life and, you know, my emotional state and like what I actually want to be doing. Now I can take all that, that was always there and just kind of harness it and actually like be working and be creating and, um, you know, hopefully being a little bit more successful. <laughs> Do you feel that, that when you found your niche and your, and your drive in the arts, that it, that it, that it helped decrease the amount of anxiety you feel on a, on a day to day basis? Yeah. I mean, it definitely has also like, I mean, this is going into the next thing we're going to talk about, but like getting, getting a more stable job. That's a creative job mm -hmm. specifically in my field has been really great. Um, that's definitely been really grounding for me. I've kind of needed that because all along I've been piecing together a bunch of different jobs, which I still am totally doing, <laughs> but um, most of them weren't creative um, and didn't feel good. But yeah, I mean, I definitely do like a lot of yoga and a lot of breathing and stuff like that because right. anxiety is a major one for me that I still still deal with a lot. But I definitely feel less anxiety about my overall life trajectory that I'm seeing. I don't know what it's going to be exactly. I don't have a clear image, but that's okay. And that used to be very not okay. Right. <laughs> so now I'm just like, I'm here for the ride. You know, we'll see what happens. We can parlay that in the next question. You're currently freelancing. Mm -hmm. uh, what's that been like as far as um, that finding more of that peace of mind that you're talking about? And how did you get started? Yeah. Um, so it's been really awesome. This has been 2019 has been the best year of my recent life. I mean, there have been some crap ones. <laughs> can I say that? Is yes. That <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm like, that's not a That's not a cuss word. Um, <laughs> yeah. There have been some really crappy ones. So now... 2019, I mean, it's it's really taken off. It's not like I'm, you know, I'm not ready to, like, buy a house or anything like that. But I'm, I'm paying my bills. I'm making it month to month. I'm, you know, um, able to take care of myself and my son. And it's been amazing because I've been able to work jobs that and, like, take on projects that I actually care about, you know, and that even if it's not my own personal, you know, artwork, per se, like my private, like a private studio practice, like painting, like what I used to think I wanted to do. It's still using that part of my mind that like, I feel like needs to be used every day in order to feel fulfilled. Yeah. And, um, 
yeah, I got started because last December I was actually laid off Mm -hmm. (laughs) from my bartending serving job I had here in town when the restaurant closed and I've been really miserable for a while. And it was weird because even though the place is great and I'm not going to, I'm not going to name them, but the place is great. The people are great there, but I've been really miserable for a while because I'd fallen back into that same like cycle and trap of working jobs that paid really well and I was really good at, but that I hated. Right. That I really, like, when it came down to, like, the basics of what the job was, I really hated it, and I'd been wanting to quit, and then I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's November, it's about to be my son's birthday, we've got Christmas, I was like, you need to just hold on until after the holidays, and then and then you can quit, which, like, I think if I had, then I probably wouldn't have ever ended up quitting, and then it right. was some weird universal thing where, like, right after I, just, I got scared and decided to put it off, the universe was just like handed it to me and was like, nope, sorry, that was the right decision. You chose wrong, but we're going to give you a second chance. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I kind of was forced into it and definitely like figuring this whole thing out. I'm still figuring it out. I still don't know exactly what to do, but I've had a lot of like great creatives around town and friends and stuff who have, who have been there, who have more experience with me that were willing to like sit down and get a coffee with me and talk to me about like, how the heck do I price my work and you know what kind of scheduling system they use and just what the the day-to-day kind of like looks like for them and just kind of talk through those things and also just like provide encouragement and support for each other so it's been really cool well springboarding off that I mean as far as like the support and, and finding answers what's some advice you can give to those who are thinking about taking the same path or a similar one as you um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just got to say, this is a phrase we're all really tired of hearing in 2019, but like lean in, like you just, you just have to go for it. You really do. And you have to, honestly, fear is natural. We all have it, but you really kind of have to push past the fear. And a part of that, which actually something that I picked up, there's a thing in town called Creative Mornings. That's like a Friday of every month and they have like a local creative come in and talk and it's kind of like a networking event and things like that. Um, But I was at one and this local artist and poet Genesis Gray Kid was there and he was talking and uh, I hope he doesn't mind that I'm going to name drop him. No, he's been on the show before. But yeah, okay, I figured. But he he was talking about, we were talking about money at one point and it wasn't specifically in relation to this, but it was kind of like, you know, learn to live with less so that you can risk more, so that Mm -hmm. you can do more. And I think that's great. Like simplify your life cut down to the bare basic bills and like, you know, the small things you can treat yourself with that keep you going for self-care. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, just like simplify, figure out a way to live on less so you can take on things you want to take on so that you can, you know, put off going back to a job you hate or whatnot. But also at the same time, I still have like weird pickup jobs and filler jobs Mm -hmm. and things like that. So I do all kinds of weird odd jobs that again, aren't in my field, but it's not, what I'm primarily employed in essentially. So, um, yeah. And I just kind of lucked into recently like that part-time creative job Mm -hmm. here in town with Emily Thompson, who does being boss podcast and Mm -hmm. has a great store called Almanac Supply Co, which is mostly what I've been working for is the store and her and David are just awesome. And I love it and I'm super happy and it's, you know, hopefully going to grow and get bigger. My role will get bigger and I'll just be even happier. (laughs) Well, since I've got you with such a big smile on your face, let's yeah. take that. I want to take oh, the po- positive oh, energy God. to my last question. 
is why do you create? Okay. Um, yeah, I, I've always, I've always wanted to. It's just something I've always done. It felt really natural. I also was like good at it. <laughs> at yeah, least in my funny head, how that works out. In my head when I was a kid, I was like, I'm good at this. This is what <laughs> I'm going to do. So I just always thought somehow I could make that work. So yeah, um, that. And then, I mean, now that I've like monetized my passion and do that, I mean, I do it. I have a son. His name's Cash. He's awesome. He's nine years old. Great red hair, just like the best hair you've ever seen on a kid. He um, he loves this cat, Warner, who we got from Warner Park Recycling. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought the name fit. Mm-hmm. And uh, he loves video games and kettle corn from the Sunday market and like a million other things. Mm-hmm. But he's great and he deserves it all. So nowadays I do it mostly for him. And, you know, he's he's actually, it's crazy when he was, I was in school for like the first six years of his life. So like, I mean, there were nights where I was in the design studio over here off Palmetto and I was uh, working on um, animations and stuff till like 11 o'clock at night. Don't judge me for this, but he was totally there. I've like Mm. fed him chicken nuggets from (laughs) Chick-fil-A in the UC Mm. and I made him a pallet and he would fall asleep. And then, you know, when I was done, we'd take it, we'd go home go to bed, get up, do the whole thing over again. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he really, he's really been great and he's an, he's going to grow into like an even more amazing adult beyond just a child. So, you know, whatever I can do to take care of him, it's what I want to do. But you also have to take care of yourself when you're taking care of a kid. Cause if you don't take care of yourself, you can't be there for them. Mm-hmm. And part of taking care of myself is, working in a field that I love and doing something I love. So yeah, creating. Well, I want people to be able to keep up with you. How do they find you on social media and see the things that you've done, uh, even contact you about possible projects? Yeah. So, um, social media, I've just condensed it all down to kind of one that's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a personal page and an art page. So don't go to it expecting to see like super professional graphic design posts on it. Um, but it's called I Don't Even Smoke Anymore, actually. <laughs> Which, if you knew my old um, Instagram name, you would find that really funny. But, yeah, uh, there, I'm on Instagram there, and you can reach out and say, hey, DM me. I do all kinds of things through that page. I sell work through my Instagram all the time. I have a website which is maryright.com, and I spell Mary, M-E-R-I. Uh, it's kind of currently under construction, but it has a link to contact me because I'm rebranding right now and it's going to come back even better. I'm really excited. And then, um, yeah, you can just email me, uh, marywrightdesign at gmail.com. Again, M-E-R-I-W-R-I-G-H-T design at gmail.com. And I want to throw in now that if you want to see some of her graphic work, the Blue Mountain Review, which is the Journal of Culture through the Southern Collective Experience, she is now at the helm of that, and it is beautiful. Not only this one, but going in the future, she'll be there as well. So please check out her social media, her websites, email her with any questions, and check out the magazine to see some of her work in action. Mary Wright, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was was a lot more fun than I thought it would be. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have you on again. Thank you. And for the second music break of the night, we have Dwayne Haynes of the band Oida here to talk about one of his songs and play it for us. Dwayne, how you doing, boss? I'm doing great, man. How are you? 
I cannot complain. Fine and Danny like sour candy, brother. Well, the song that I'm going to play is called Loud Heart. Um, the reason I picked this one is because it's brand new. So if I'm not going to have my singer here, then I'm going to do something that we haven't put out in the world yet. <laughs> right. Um, it's about how you get bored with life and you feel like you need a thrill, but you're looking in the wrong place. You, know, right. you can find a thrill wherever you are. If you shrink that down, then you, know, you can have a thrilling life and never get outside of your routine. Right. So that's what brought it about. Let's do it. I have to say, 
And idle mouth, open mind, I have to say Dwayne Haynes, I cannot thank you enough, brother. Thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the opportunity. To round out tonight's Dante's Old South, we have Mr. Robert Gwaltney with us, novelist and all-around fantastic human being. Robert, how are you doing, boss? I'm good. Thank you. Now, I have read excerpts of your novel, and it's actually the way I met you, and they are one-of-a-kind in their delicacy, yet... Uh, and, and, a realism that's almost barbed, but in the right places. Uh, what first drew you to your story? Tell us about your novel's title and uh, why it's now such a driving passion in your life. Sure. So, so the novel is my first novel, and um, it's entitled The Cicada Tree. I'm at the very end of um, revision. So after that process, I hope to be able to send it out into the world and hopefully gather some interest. But I have had excerpts of it um, published in a few literary magazines, which I'm really excited about. But really, um, I guess in general, um, I am inspired uh, by growing up in the South, being a child of the South, um, the oratorical aesthetic of, of storytelling in which just the manner in which you tell the story is as important as what you're, what you're telling. So I think that my childhood experiences growing up in Cairo, Georgia, Southwest Georgia, I think really did um, impact my story, though it, it absolutely um, doesn't reflect who I was as a child. I'm, I'm writing from the point of view or the perspective of, of a, an 11-year-old girl whose name is Annalise Newell in 1956 in a fictional town um, called Providence, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Now, to springboard that from the, from the internal to the external, what are some of your greatest influences in writing and who, what about their writing moves you? So I think, um, well, it's interesting. It's pretty diverse. You know, as a little boy, I was obsessed with Charlotte Bronte's Jane Eyre mm-hmm. and the Gothic influence there. Um, Charles Dickens, I loved. And one of my all-time favorite characters is um, a character named Mrs. Havisham from Miss Havisham from Great Expectations. Mm-hmm. And what I love most about that, for those of of the audience who haven't read Great Expectations. Um, she's a woman who's grown into old age, who was jilted at the altar. She lives out her days in a decaying wedding gown, mm-hmm. and all the clocks in the home have stopped at the time that she was to be married. Mm-hmm. And her one goal in life is to set misery upon men. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's a frighteningly poignant example, and you're absolutely right. right. So I, I love her. There's something very poetic and, and tragic and very gothic about her. Um, Truman Capote's first novel, Other, Vo- Other Voices, Other Rooms, mm-hmm. is a really wonderful example of Southern Gothic. And um, you know I'm fascinated with Truman Capote. Anything Tennessee Williams, certainly I think he's had a huge influence. Um, I love Cat on the Hot Tin Roof. Mm-hmm. Suddenly Last Summer is one of my, my favorites. And um, in regards to modern writers, Michael Cunningham, um, who won the Pulitzer for The Hours. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that novel. There's also another writer um, who, his name is Robert Gulrich. He wrote A Reliable Wife. 
And I'm going to read this quick first opening sentence. Mm. It was bitter cold, the air electric with all that had not happened yet. And mm. I just can't think of a more beautiful and perfect way to start exactly. a novel. Yeah. So um, very diverse. Um, Flannery O'Connor, obviously, who, who I adore, Southern Gothic, um, inspiration to the work that I do. So modern writers, um, writers from yesterday, just, it's just a, a mishmash. And I think outside of literature, I'm also inspired by art mm-hmm. and opera and fashion and movies, really, just the world around me in general. Now, the world around you in general is what I want to get at, and how does it influence you, and, and how does it? How would you describe your your way of writing? How the world has affected you to the man you are today? So I would say, obviously, my, my writing is 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 southern fiction. Um, it's elements of magical realism with what I would say would be southern gothic tendencies, mm-hmm. and really, you know, magical realism just being the modern world with elements of magic. Um, threaded through mm-hmm. and then of course the southern gothic being a much darker version of, of that so i i think that um you know as a boy growing up feeling a little isolated in south georgia you know i think i always looked for magic in the world to sort mm-hmm. of help get me through right <laughs> help get me through um <clears throat> so i think that um and then i also was fascinated with the elements um you know that that sort of irrational horrific um, thoughts, desires, and impulses that come with a Southern Gothic element. I, I think that more than anything with Southern Gothic, um, I'm inspired by those elements of the supernatural. Mm-hmm. I think in my own writing, at the end of the day, I think more than anything else, um, I, I, though it's dark, um, I always like to thread through some elements of hope. So yeah. at the end of the day, when all else is lost, there's still hope. Right. Well, as someone who is on the back end of writing their first novel, an amazing novel, what advice do you have those who are maybe a step or two behind you that are wanting to do the same thing to maybe help them miss some pitfalls? So I think that I think some of the best writing advice I ever received was just write what you know, uh, write what you would love to read. Um, and in order to be a writer, you have to write and you have to read. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's been very helpful for me is to be able to establish and build a community. I know that over the, the last 10 years I've been working with a critique group. We, we submit to one another every two weeks. We meet on Tuesdays. We review the work. We support one another. I'm fortunate to have recently joined the um, Southern Collective Experience as an associate member. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you, know, you and Ms. Carolyn and Zach are all a member of that crew, so we've been able to support one another. Mm-hmm. So it is helpful to have another artist's ear and eye to your work. So when you sit down and collect your thoughts, where do you sit down to write? Do you have a ritual? Do you have a place that's special to you? So there was a time where I had to write in complete silence. But writing is a very isolating process. So you will probably find me most often when I'm writing in coffee shops. Mm-hmm. I do sort of like the sense that there are people around me. Um, there was a time where I could not tune it out, but now I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of dark roast coffee. You know, it's part of that, <laughs> that process. It's very helpful. Now... To balance out the other side of Robert Gwaltney, you work for a nonprofit. Tell us about that. I do. So I've worked with Seals North Georgia Children's Services for 20 years now. And we are um, a national nonprofit. We're an affiliate of that national nonprofit. Um, we just celebrated our 100th anniversary. So as a national presence, we've been around for a very long time. In Georgia, we've been serving children and families for over 65 years. 
basically our mission is to strengthen children and families during the most critical times in a child's development. We do that through providing high quality early education and early intervention services. It's the heart that I see in your writing that's that's evident in your everyday life, and I, I cannot applaud you enough for the hard work you've done for years in this area. And I'm lucky to have you on this show, and even luckier to have a sneak peek at your novel, The Cicada Tree. Robert, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show tonight. Thank you. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Dante's Old South, so thank you for having me on. And I can't think of a better way to stop the show. And thank all of you for listening yet again to Dante's Old South here at a WTC and NPR. Y'all have a safe night. Hovering by my suitcase Trying to find a warm place to spend the night Heavy rain a falling Seems I hear your voice calling It's alright A rain and out in Georgia A rain and out in Georgia Oh, leave it's raining all over the world Signs are flashing, taxi cabs and buses passing through the night. The distant moaning of a train seems to play a sad refrain to the night. A rain and night and It's such a raining night in Georgia Lord, I believe it's raining all over the world How many times I've wondered It still comes out the same in a boxcar so I take out my guitar to pass some time late at night when it's hard to rest I hold your picture to my chest and I'm alright I rain the night in Georgia Lord, it's up to rain Out in Georgia, it's raining.